Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are digging into part two of this question at the core of a lot of what we do. What is infinite banking? And the reason we are really digging into this question, although it might seem very simple, is that really you might want to know more about infinite banking and you might be having questions about what it is, why it works, how it works. And really, instead of talking about philosophy and talking about all of the parts of infinite banking, we just want to give you a bare bones, broken down core concept of the fundamentals of infinite banking. And so perhaps you are exploring infinite banking for the first time. We also might be talking to you who are already using infinite banking and either you're wanting to understand it better or have a refresher on why you did it in the first place. Or maybe you have a friend, a spouse, a grandchild, somebody you want to explain infinite banking to because you think it would be really beneficial in their life, but you're maybe struggling with understanding how to explain it in a way that works for them or any other reason why you might be interested in the fundamentals of infinite banking. So today we're going to continue on this conversation. We started out endeavoring to answer 16 what questions about infinite banking. And I think we got through two and we added one last time. So two and a half questions out of the um, 16 that we had attempted to uncover. So today we're going to recap a little bit of what we talked about last time and then really continue moving forward in unpacking the definitions and the what of infinite banking really leading with what is the special design that we talk about when we say infinite banking is specially designed whole life insurance product plus a strategy. All right. So Bruce, before we kind of recap what we talked about last time, I'd love to just have you share your thoughts on the reason that talking about fundamentals is so valuable. Well, I think uh, the big reason is, is that people try to make this more than what it really is. And there's a couple of reasons that people do that. One is they have they think, well, if I haven't heard about this and it's that simple, then it doesn't make sense to me. And it's almost like it's attack on their character. I know mm-hmm. it sounds weird, but a lot of people are, are think or or they beat themselves up. I don't know how many times we have people that reach out to us and they say, Man, I wish I I can't believe I didn't know about this. I wish I would have done this years ago. You know, how did I not know about this? And if it's so great, why don't people know about this? Well, there's, you have to understand is that since 1980, when the stock market came into almost everybody's life, because that's when the 401k came in, the big Wall Street firms started marketing about how to put money in the stock market and insurance companies are very conservative. So they don't put a lot of money into mm-hmm. marketing particular products. And so it is that simple. If you allow it to be that simple, the, the part that is, and that we're going to dive into this today is 
to make sure that the simplicity of the strategy matches the simplicity of what you would like to do or the design of the particular. And there's not one way to design it. There are guidelines. Um, Nelson actually, when he was first started out, he had all base policies and infinite banking can work with all base policies. There's no doubt about it. And infinite banking can work with less than all base with smaller base and more PUAs. However, there's a balance that you should start with. And, and that's really where people, um, they, they get hung up on the balance of this rather than get just getting started with it. And that's what we're going to dive into today. Mm, I like how you said the simplicity of the strategy needs to match the simplicity of your goals. I think you might've said it perhaps a little bit differently, but this really is simple. And yet sometimes the simplest things hide in plain sight because we expect them to be complicated or we mm -hmm. expect it to be difficult to understand. And so that's a really good invitation to lean in to this conversation. Don't beat yourself up about what you didn't know in the past, but take the new information that you have and allow yourself to make the best decisions possible with that. And so let's recap. Last time we talked about, we just started with the question, what is infinite banking? And we had a lot of conversations surrounding this, but at the core, infinite banking is a strategy of using a specific type of whole life insurance. And that is the answer. So it's a strategy plus a product. It's a way of operating plus a particular tool, two things working together, not just the tool, not just the strategy, but the two in conjunction. So then we had to ask the question, well, if it's a strategy of using a specially designed whole life insurance product, what exactly is whole life insurance? So we dug into what is whole life insurance and what differentiates and distinguishes it from term insurance. So those you can hear about on the previous episode, but at the core, whole life insurance is a permanent long-term through your whole life insurance product that has a death benefit that also has a cash value component of equity, which is a portion of the death benefit that you have available to access and use during your lifetime. So where term insurance is truly a death insurance, it is just a death benefit that pays out if you die during the term of the policy. Whole life insurance is truly that. It's life insurance that's meant to be used during your life. It has a death benefit component and it has the cash value for living benefits. Bruce, is there anything you look like you might have wanted to add something there? Well, I just want to make sure people understand that um, it's best to deal with a, a mutual company that is participating. And participating means that you get to participate in the profits of the company and where they pay dividends. Um, we've, we've debated on this show whether it should be a direct recognition company or a non-direct recognition company. I could, I could, depending on the situation, I can see where either can work. I do believe, though, that if you're going to utilize a lot of, and that's the purpose of this, right? If you're going to utilize um, collateralizing the cash value, then a non-direct recognition company probably works a little better. And we'll talk about this later, but a non-direct simply means that if you, if you take a loan against the collateral, 
the insurance company does not recognize that loan and still pays you the same amount of dividend, whether you have a loan or not. A direct recognition company will say, well, you have a loan against your policy. Well, in some cases, we'll pay you a dividend, but we're just, we're not going to pay you the same amount of dividend as if you did not have a, a loan. So uh, there are differences in companies. The differences are minimal as long as you don't take a lot of loans against the policy. If you take a lot of loans, I think, I think the strategy does work better with a non-direct recognition company. Mm-hmm. And that is something we'll dig into a little bit more. If you're brand new to the concept, you might be saying, Bruce, you're talking in a different language. So don't worry, we are going to unpack all of these things. But it's important to realize there are a, there is a lot to understand about infinite banking, and yet it is very simple. And so we are going to be showing you the simplicity and also explaining and parsing it out so that it truly can make sense for you. So then last time we said, well, if we're discussing life insurance, specifically whole life insurance, we need to ask the question, what is the purpose of life insurance? And the reason that most people get stuck here is that they think, well, maybe I don't really need life insurance past my working or earning years because my house is paid off. I'm not expecting any more income. I'm not contributing more to my, my lifetime income potential. And generally, the college is paid for, the house is paid for, what do I need life insurance for? And so we talked about the, the real truth that life insurance is a want product, not a need product, and it is about what you want to create. We also talked about the value of, of providing you options in later years, the option for using equity in your home as a reverse mortgage, the option for having another place to draw income from or to use as a volatility buffer when you have the a down year in your other assets, your other investments, and you don't want to withdraw the full percentage that you had planned. There's many different reasons to have life insurance in your later years. And so we unpacked that last time. So go back and check out part one of what is infinite banking. So today we're going to continue the conversation and As I mentioned, if infinite banking is the strategy of using a special kind of whole life insurance, we are now going to dive into and uncover what is that special design that makes specially designed life insurance an ideal tool for infinite banking that obviously is different in some regard. It's a distinction, a, a, a parting in some capacity from the standard or the regular or the regular the normal whole life insurance. So what exactly is that? There is a lot here to unpack as well. I'm going to start with just a very simple try to have a one sentence answer for this and I would say the special design is dividend paying high cash value whole life insurance with a mutual company. That sounds like a mouthful, but I want you to have something to come back to. Of course, we're going to break down all of these different parts. We're going to explain the uh, what policy design even is all about, but that is the simplest definition of specially designed whole life insurance. Bruce, let's go ahead and start with 
the idea of a mutual company. And I know you had started, you had talked about this a little bit before, but let's talk about what is a mutual company? What is a, the opposite, which is a stock company? And why do we need to have a mutual company in order to specially design this product? Well, you think mutual company is more in more um, aspects than just insurance companies. Matter of fact, um, I come from a fairly small town and mutual, a mutual company uh, was actually developed by the farmers to actually increase their buying power for seed and fertilizer and fuel. And then they would actually sell it to other farmers, not just to utilize uh, lower prices. And so what, what happened is, and maybe some of our listeners have actually heard this before, Farmers Mutual um, is an example of this. So they, a bunch of farmers would get together and they say, hey, we're going to farm a company. And that way, instead of just buying um, a thousand pounds of fertilizer, they, they can go to a, per, uh, a particular company and say, we're not going to just buy a thousand for me. We're actually going to, we have these 10 farmers. We're going to buy 10,000 pounds of fertilizer. And so can we get this at a cheaper price? Then they would maybe even buy 20,000 pounds of fertilizer and then go to other farmers in the area and say, hey, if you go buy your 1,000 pounds of fertilizer directly from the company, you're going to pay X. We're going to actually get, uh, charge you this, and it's going to be less than X. So everybody wins. The, farmer, the mutual company that the farmers uh, establish makes money. And the, the individual farmer uh, gets a product that's less. And the big company selling the fertilizer sells a bunch of fertilizer. So then what happens is then at the end of the year, not just the fertilizer, just one, you got seed, you got fuel, you got all kinds of negotiated land leases, you got all kinds of things going on. And so at the end of the year, you have your expenses just like any business. So you've spent money on things. And then you have your income because you sold things to people. And then you're going to come up with a profit. And then the farmers would put some of that profit into a rainy day fund in case one year the, the, it, the weather was bad and their crops did not do as well. And then they did distribute the, the rest of it in the form of a dividend to each one of the shareholders. Well, lo and behold, a bunch of years ago, 175 in some cases, and over 115 in almost every case of a mutual company here in the United States, they did the same thing, except they did it with life insurance. They said, okay, we're going to form um, a company. We're going to let the policyholders, actually, if they buy a policy to the company, they're going to become part owners of the company. And then we're going to have revenue. Coming in, we're going to invest it in different safe vehicles. We're going to run home office. We're going to do underwriters are going to see if you're really if if you're worthy of this particular product. And we're going to keep mortality expenses down as low as possible. At the end of the year, then we are going to put some of that money aside for profit of profits in into our reserves, and we're going to distribute the rest of the profits in the form of a dividend to our uh, owners of the company, which are the policyholders. And so it works the same way. 
Now, what's interesting is uh, Law 7702 allows dividends to be paid out to policyholders in a tax-free way because they consider it for accounting purposes. And I want this to be very, very clear for people. They consider this to be a return of premium. This is a sticking point for a lot of people who claim whole life is just a scam or a sham because you're really not making any money because you're just returning premium. But that's only for accounting purposes because what they're doing is they're looking at, they're charging you the a certain amount and they're not figuring they're going to make anything on the money. So they are they are actually making more with their investments and keeping mortality uh, low as possible. And so in, in accounting purposes, it is a return of premium because they said, we didn't know we were going to make this money. We didn't know we were going to keep expenses down this low. So it's not like they're just randomly overcharging you and then giving your money back. If that was the case, then any anybody would never make any money on their premiums that they put in. And we have case after case after case where you're actually getting more money back than the premium that you put in. So if you if you're only getting your premium back, your cash value would never grow higher than your than than the premium that you put in. So that's, that's a, a really point. important yes, that's a very interesting point that people try to discredit whole life all the time. They say, well, it's just a return of premium. You're just getting your premium back. Well, if that was the case, then your premium would never grow higher. I'm sorry, your cash value would never grow higher than your premium. And I, yes. I've compared and contrast this other point with other companies. Coca-Cola pays a dividend. UPS pays a dividend. And and it's a say, you would say the same thing. Well, then why is Coke overcharging you for their products? Why is UPS overcharging you for for their um, their packaging shipping, well, they're not. They're they're investing into their own business, and then they're giving their stockholders because they have a service to give to the community. They're repaying their stockholders, and that's the difference between a mutual company and a stock company. There are a lot of stock companies out there in the insurance, but mm-hmm. the policyholders do not get paid a dividend. The stockholders, they are beholden to the stockholders to try to grow the stock. So when there's a profit, they put it back into the company. They don't send it to the stockholders. Well, there's some that actually send dividends to the stockholders, but most of the stock companies' insurance are simply just non-participating, and they're just hoping that the, the company's stock is going to go up. So that is the, that is the essence of how a mutual company works. What's interesting about having a mutual company is that because the policy owner, you, the insured, you might not be the insured, but if you're the owner of the policy, and we can actually break that down and and communicate what the difference between those parties are. But if you are the owner of a policy, you are an owner of the life insurance company in a mutual company. That is what entitles you to receive this dividend from the company which is a portion of the growth that you will then expect inside of your policy. So let's break down a couple of those pieces. The growth inside your policy happens from interest and from dividends. Interest is guaranteed. Dividends are not guaranteed. However, 
the companies that we work with and most life insurance companies have been paying dividends. Sorry, most mutual companies have been paying dividends for over a hundred years. And Bruce, we were talking about in some cases, 170 years, depending on which company you're working with. So those dividends then become something that we can expect and anticipate, even though it's not a portion of the guarantees of your policy. I think there's so much that we could unpack here. Let's, I just want to clarify what I meant earlier when I said being the insured or being the owner. The owner of a policy is a person who funds a policy and has the contractual right to access the cash value. That policy is often on themselves. If I own a life insurance policy and I've chosen to insure myself, I pay the premium, I insure my own life, and I have access to my cash value. There's another party that I list as a beneficiary. This could be my spouse, could be my child, my children. In my case, it's my family trust. So multiple options for a beneficiary. You can even list contingent beneficiaries or multiple beneficiaries. If you have three children, you can have three of them listed as 33.333% beneficiary on the policy. But that would make you have three parties, the owner who owns, pays, and accesses the cash value of the policy, the insured whose life is insured, and thirdly, the beneficiary. Now, you may not be the insured in, and you still can be the owner. I could own a policy and have access to the cash value if I insure my mom or my husband or my grandchild, which I don't have a grandchild yet. But if I insure somebody I have insurable interest on, I can insure their life. They're the ones who go through underwriting and I own the policy. I wanted to clarify that because just because you're the insured, it does not mean you have ownership rights. It's being the owner who pays and has the ownership of the cash value and the death benefit that makes you the owner to receive dividends. Bruce, is there anything else that you would clarify on the three parties to the life insurance contract? The, well, only that the owner and the beneficiary can are contractually allowed to be changed to somebody else. Obviously, the insured cannot be changed, but the owner controls everything. So they can decide, oh, I'm going to change the beneficiary. Or they can even say, I'm going to give up ownership to somebody else. And this, this often happens with a parent who takes out a policy on a child. I'm actually working with uh, two uh, young men whose father took out a policy of them. I'm working with them to change now the ownership to the, to the young men themselves. It also happens in a business situation very often when they do a deferred comp program for an employee, which which is an incentive program to stay around, it, they, they will say, well, if you stay around for, for five years, I will actually change this ownership from me to you. And some people might say on this, listening to this, well, why would a business owner do that? Why don't they just use an incentive like a 401k? Well, the, the 401k by ERISA laws, you can look up ERISA laws um, some other time, I, E-R-I-S-A, mm -hmm. uh, basically says that you cannot discriminate if you're, gonna, if you're going to give uh, 401k benefits to one person in your company, you have to give it to all the people in your company. Where if you use life insurance, you're allowed to discriminate. And I know that sounds like a bad word to people, mm -hmm. but it, it just simply means you're allowed to incent certain people 
with an insurance product to stay around. And so that's a very common thing in a business that. Uh, yeah, that uh, could be, that could be a key person in your company. It could be all the executives, but not the employees. Uh, you have a lot of options in terms of who you would use this kind of a policy for. And that's what Bruce means by discriminate. It doesn't mean um, based on unemployable factors, but you could you could use this type of a policy for somebody that you really depend on for the long-term viability of your business. Yeah, you're incentivizing them to stay around. Absolutely. So thank you for clarifying that. Let's come back to this idea of special design. So if we say infinite banking uses a special design of whole life insurance policy and a strategy, let's dig into that special design for just a moment because if there's a special design that also precludes or means that there also must be a not so special design or a standard type of design. So let's break down what is the difference between standard or regular, normal, average, whole life insurance? What is that? And what is the difference between that and specially designed life insurance that is better used as a base or a chassis for infinite banking? Bruce, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you just went to somebody and said, I'd like a whole life insurance contract and you didn't special, uh, you weren't specific with them, they would do what's called ordinary life. And it just simply means that there would be a, a base amount of premium and it, it's called base. And it would say, well, this is your amount of premium that you will pay for whatever contractual amount of time the product or you decide. So, so there are, you can actually do a single premium. You can just go to a life insurance company and say, I want to make one premium payment and never make another one. And they can design a, pro, a, a policy for that. It's called single premium. You, there's 10 pay products where you only pay in for 10 years. There are 20 pay products, 30 pay products, 40 pay. And there are pay products that you pay for your entire life and the entire life for whole life right now. The design is up to age 121. Now, I know some listeners are saying, oh, wait a minute, how am I going to make premium payments at age 121? Well, your money has to go, it has to flow somewhere. And it, and it certainly could flow into the, your um, whole life insurance first at any age. So that's the base. Think of this as your mortgage payment to your house and your house is an asset. Your base payment to your whole life contract is like you're paying your asset, which is your whole life contract. It's an asset. It's building up cash value early on in the contract. However, just like when you're paying a, a mortgage, most of it goes to other things rather than to equity in your, in your, uh, con in your house contract mortgage. Whole life is the same way. If you build it where you just have all base, there's a lot of, of death benefit. And some people may want a lot of death benefit, just like some people want a lot of house. And so there's costs for that, not only insurance costs, but there's costs from home office. There's costs for agents to present it to you and to service this over and over. So that is, that is what is 
what is, for, is commonly called ordinary life or whole life, where there is just a base premium. And in this case, a lot of the cost early on goes to the cost of insurance, the cost of running the program. And this is one of the main reasons why people say, oh, this is a terrible way to design this because you don't have any access to the cash value. Well, what's so, interesting okay, is you have, you have to determine what you're trying to accomplish because you have a lot more permanent guaranteed death benefit in that case. And maybe most importantly, right now in rising interest rate environments, the dividend is paid based upon a combination, and this is proprietary, so I can't give you the exact, but it's based upon it, but I can show it to people that, that are, have a meeting with me. It's based upon the amount of premium and the amount of death benefit. And so the higher the base premium, the higher your dividend payout is going to be in a, gro- in a gross manner. So there's a lot packed into what Bruce just shared, but that I call it standard or regular, but ordinary is the, the actual term. Ordinary whole life insurance has a base premium only. And what that means is that all of your premium you paid is considered the base policy that has a higher death benefit in contrast to what we're about to share with you. And it has a slower cash value buildup. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, I wanted to use my policy to have early cash value, but it seemed that with my whole life policy, I was 10 years in or 15 years in, and I still barely had any of my premium available in terms of cash value. I did not have access to very much capital inside the policy. So again, you have to determine what you're trying to accomplish. There are multiple reasons for multiple different kinds of policy design. And there's still, even if you said, I want to do infinite banking, there is not only one policy design that always works for every single person. There is a range of design that will make that policy be optimized for you specifically. However, if we just look at the standard, ordinary whole life insurance, all the premium is based premium, high death benefit, slower cash value accumulation. So let's contrast that when we start specially designing this policy. What is different about that than a ordinary whole life insurance policy? Bruce, I'll let you take this first. Yeah, what's interesting is um, people that have actually seen this in the past can cannot even imagine it now because of um, one of the last things that the Trump administration did in 2020 is they changed the 7702 laws so that you can actually accumulate cash faster based upon the IRS MEC laws. So um, there's a lot of people that would say, well, I couldn't even have access to any of my cash value till year three if I did an all base, that all that is actually changed now. So you actually have much more access to cash, no matter how big the base is. So now let's go back to our real estate example. If you buy a house and people are doing this, I don't necessarily um, 
agree with this unless I talk to a person, but if a person has a $1,000 mortgage payment and maybe 150 is going towards the equity and 850 is going towards interest and they decide I'm going to make $1,500 payment. So they have $500 that are, is going to the principal payment. So now all of a sudden they're paying their house down more quickly and all $500 goes to that equity. So now instead of just 150 going to equity or principal, now they have a 150 plus 500. So they have 650 that goes to principal. Well, think of a paid up additions, which is a contractual contract within the contract that's added to a whole life contract, the base premium. Now you got the base premium and you can actually add a paid up additions premium to the contract. So I'm going to pause you just for a second. So we're, we're talking about having two different types of premium, whereas base only goes into the ordinary whole life insurance. We have base premium and paid up additions, two different types of premium going into a specially designed product. Go ahead. Correct. And by contract, uh, you're allowed to do that. And when it says paid up additions, P-U-A, that is exactly what it means. Earlier in the show, I said you could buy a single premium contract where you just went to the insurance company and said, I have X amount. I have $10,000. I'm 38 years old. How much life insurance can I buy that I never have to put another premium? So the actuaries will take that $10,000. They will look at the 38-year-old based upon his health, habits, and gender, and they will, they will come up with a number. Just from experience, I can tell you a 38-year-old would probably get four and a half to five times his life insurance. So for 10000 they will get $50,000 worth of life insurance that they never have to put another premium in. Now, I can hear people screaming in their heads right now saying, well, that's ridiculous because I could get a term insurance um, for a lot more than 50000 Remember, though, this is for your whole life. It's paid up. You're going to have this until you die or age 121, whichever. So when you, when you spread that out, that premium of 10,000 from a 38-year-old to 121, they're paying very little, and in a lot of cases, less than what the term insurance costs would be. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the term is going to run out and um, it's going to skyrocket. So this is same way with paid up additions. You're by contract, you're going to have an amount you can put in every year and it's going to be in a, a set amount. And the insurance company is going to say, okay, at 38 for that set amount, you're going to get this much more life insurance. You don't have to buy it. It's optional. But guess what? Now it's paid up. So the life insurance company says it's an asset that's paid up. So think about it as adding a garage or a room addition to your house and you pay all cash with it. So now you go to the bank and say, can I have a home equity line of credit against my house? Oh, and by the way, can you do an appraisal on it? Because I added a room to it and it's all paid off. So I don't have an additional loan amount to it. And the the bank's going to say, oh, yeah, your, your value of your house went up. So I'll be glad to loan your money. And in most cases, it's equal to what they put into it. Paid up additions is the same way. The insurance company says, oh, you put this money in? It's all paid up. We don't ha- you don't have to make any additional payments. 
So you have you you've put in just as much money. So now it's equity. We can let you borrow against that paid up amount of money. And you're contractually allowed to do this for a set amount of time within the contract every year. Now, there's limitations because of the modified endowment contract laws in 7702 to keep it tax free. That it once again goes into the specially designed aspect of it. So that's the, that's the difference between base, which is, is a payment that you're considering to pay for the either the entire contract or for a specific amount of time. And then a paid up additions rider is you have the option to do it over a certain amount of time. Now, you have to actually design the base and the paid up additions in a certain ratio to satisfy the IRS requirements of the modified endowment contract. And that's where it comes into more specialty design. I think it's really important to understand that difference between the two types of premium because of what they do for you in your experience of the life insurance product. So whereas before, if we just put base premium in one type of premium only, we're slowly paying towards the death benefit without much equity buildup in the policy. And that is going to have a slower cash value accumulation early. If we add in the paid up additions, we are going to, because of the paid up addition portion of premium, we're going to have most of that paid up addition going straight to early cash value, meaning most of that portion of your premium is now available to you pretty much right away in the policy. And when I say pretty much right away, I mean, that would be within 30 days, within 30 days of the premium being paid. But then you also have the dividend credited at the end of the year. And so then that would be your new cash value amount. What is interesting about this is that you have the ability to then work on this tension to get the right amount of death benefit and the right amount of early cash value for your specific needs. What that means is that life insurance is not only something that I have to hold for 15, 20, 30 years before my cash value is substantial enough to use for something and have a high death benefit. That would be ordinary whole life. I also have the ability to have this permanent whole life insurance product that I can use much earlier because my cash value is growing tremendously just in year one and two and three. And I'm already seeing enough cash that it makes it possible for me to think of it as a store of capital or a savings product where I'm putting my cash in and I'm able to then use it for something fairly quickly rather than waiting for decades. So that is what really is behind this drive to design a policy in an optimal way for death benefit and early cash value growth. Bruce, I, I know that that's probably oversimplifying. You've explained a lot of the, the pieces that go into that. Is there anything else that you would like to bring out right here with the special design of life insurance? Yeah. When Rachel says not much cash value until like year 10, 12, 15, she's trying to say the way that people think about it. Um, and it's also the way that they were designed years ago. And so that's why people have a bias against it. 
the fact of the matter is that's not the way it is anymore. Even if you do an all base policy, even if you do an all base policy, you can compare and contract uh, contrast. You're already going to have a pretty good amount of of uh, cash value in year. Well, you're going to have cash value in in the in year two already, and you're going to have a pretty good amount of cash value in year three and four. And by year ten or twelve, and the reason I have to give ranges is because I don't know your gender, your health, or your habits. <clears throat> Even by year ten, um, you're going to catch up, and all base policy is going to catch up, pretty much like a uh, a policy that also has paid up additions. It's they're they're not going to be that far apart, and so then you, you have to say to yourself, would it make some sense to delay gratification? And actually, this is what Nelson used to always say is one of his tenets. He says, think long term. Mm-hmm. And with long, when you think long term with a, a more of a base policy, you're actually going to have the, the opportunity to make more dividends, but you also have more guaranteed death benefit along the way. Now, I know people are, are going to say, well, yeah, but you can actually have more death benefit if you do PUH. Yes, but those aren't guaranteed because dividends aren't guaranteed. We've seen we've seen dividends go down as the Federal Reserve ratcheted down interest rates. I also know that people do not um, they, they do not follow through with paying their PUAs all the time. Mm-hmm. So if dividends or excuse me, if death benefit is important. So really, right now, if you can compare compare and contrast, you can have the same cash value <clears throat> right around year ten and ten or twelve, and you have pretty good cash accumulation already in year three or four. And so what Rachel's talking about when she talks to you about, you know, not having a lot of cash in year 10, 12, 15, that is the way the old um, uh, policies were not only designed, but that's the way the the laws were written. And now they've completely changed. So it's it's really advantageous to the consumer. The other thing we have to add, Rachel, is the term component to the Mm -hmm. design. So if you want to put a bigger paid up additions into your policy, in other words, put more early cash value in, the paid up additions does not allow enough death benefit to actually be high enough to put a substantial amount of additional cash into it. So one of the ways that not only the United States government allows, but the insurance companies allow is they say, well, we'll allow you to put a term rider. So for a temporary amount of time, whether it's one year, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, we'll allow you to put some temporary term insurance on here to boost up the death benefit. And when you boost up the death benefit, now you meet the requirements of the modified endowment contract laws. And now the United States Treasury will allow you to put more cash value in it in the form of paid up additions so that you can buy more paid up additions. And so those are the three main components of design, the base policy, the paid up additions rider, and the term rider that allows you to put a bigger or larger amount of cash value due to the paid up additions. Bruce, I think we've covered a lot here. And thank you for that clarification. I think what's interesting to note about specially designing versus having ordinary 
whole life insurance is that it really comes down to what are you trying to accomplish? What are your most important priorities? And thinking as well about how do you have the best performance in the widest range of future circumstances? Meaning if inflation does go up, if interest rates do rise, how will that impact your policy? So Bruce, I think as we come close to wrapping up this show today, how would you answer the person who might be asking, what would be the key reason for me to choose a ordinary whole life design or a specially or a special design? I guess I'm trying to frame it still in the what question. What is the reason to do ordinary whole life? What is the reason to do a special design? Um, I could argue that an ordinary all base policy is a specially designed policy <laughs> because if that's what the person wants or needs, um, really it's it comes specifically down to, designed to them, right? That's yeah, what specifically you, you designed mean. to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. specially designed for them. And and in cases of uh, you know an all base policy is specific, is specially designed to them. So it really comes down to that balance between your want for a certain amount of death benefit guaranteed and your want for a certain amount of cash value. Now, um, I tell people this all the time, you know, there's, there's a, there's a move out there to go 10% base and 90% PUA. And I, I say to people all the time, then why don't you just go 1% base and 90%, 99% PUA. And the reason that they don't do it is because insurance companies will not allow it to be done. And there's a variety of reasons why they won't, will not allow it. One of the biggest reasons is that they find that there are more lapses of policies or surrenders of policies when people get the base premium way too low because they're not thinking long-term. They're harvesting out all the, all the cash value they put it into some endeavor that is a little riskier and, and they, don't, they don't have the cash value, so they don't allow it to happen. And there's also some policy designs, depending on which product and which company, that is a lot riskier too because there's something that we call a blended, a blended term PUA, which is a completely different thing than what we're talking about here. It's, we don't have time in this show to talk about that. But... So really what you do is you should, every, everybody that you work with, this is the key, what you're saying, Rachel, is everybody that you work with, when I'm talking about when you're deciding who you're going to work with, a producer or a company, they should be asking you about all your assets and your cash flow and your future needs, not only as far as cash flow, assets, and death benefit, but also your your values as a family, what you're trying to accomplish. Way too often, I've, I've run into people that said they, they just go to a person, a company or an insurance producer and say, I heard this, I want this, so can you set that up for me? And they do, they set it up and they never see the producer again, they never see the company again. And that, that particular company um, I'm just going to say is not doing their due diligence. They're not, they're not acting in the best interest in that particular person, even though that's what they ask. 
See, people don't know what they actually want without some probing questions. Mm -hmm. And they need some clarifying questions. Because as I've said on uh, a lot of a lot of times in the show, people are getting their information off the internet. There's a lot of information on the internet, but there's not a lot of wisdom. And wisdom is how you apply the information. So those are the, the big things is the asking questions and then finding out your complete financial picture in order to design something that you will not only want, need, and desire. Mm, want, need, and desire. I love that you were talking about the difference really of, of looking at your complete financial picture and seeking out wisdom, which comes from being able to apply that knowledge. It also comes from knowing yourself. And sometimes you need that outside person to ask you questions to truly allow you to process and think through what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish so that you can get what you truly want, need, and desire. Bruce, that was a really beautiful way of putting that. So if you are asking yourself some questions based on this conversation today, and you're saying, well, I'd like to do infinite banking. I don't know how I should do infinite banking. I don't know what type of policy I need. I'm not sure what I want to accomplish. We would love to help you with that discussion. We'd love to be that question asker for you to be able to get really clear on your goals and what will help you best accomplish them. So the great news is that we're always starting from a blank slate and we're saying, what is the need of this person in front of us? We're not saying, here's our one product. We're going to figure out how to put that square peg into whatever round hole we find. We're instead saying, what is the need and the financial picture, the circumstance of this person and what is going to help them best accomplish those goals? There may be a various range of product design that would best fit your needs. And so we can help tailor that and fine tune it based on you specifically. And I would even take it as far as to say, it's kind of like tailoring an item of clothing where it's not just going to the store and pulling something off the rack and saying, well, this kind of fits, but it doesn't really fit in the waist. It kind of fits, you know, at the, the length is right, but you know, it just bunches here and it gathers there and it, you know, some parts fit well and some don't, it's really tailoring it specifically so that all of the pieces work for you specifically and your unique circumstance, the way that tailored clothing would fit on you specifically and, and match your needs differently than somebody with a little bit of different body build or design than you are. So if you'd like to continue that conversation or explore your possibilities, I invite you to book a call with our Money Advantage advisor team. You can do that at themoneyadvantage.com and you can find a spot right on our calendar and be able to start that conversation. We look forward to that with you. And if you're not ready for that yet, we have other resources and tools. You can get the quick and easy guide to infinite banking. We call it privatized banking. In that case, it's the same thing. You can access that and read and learn more. We also have a course on infinite banking. If you really want to dive deep, we have a lot of tools and we also invite your questions. So you can ask them here on whatever platform you are listening to us. You might be on YouTube or LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, or you can even send us an email. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're finding us, send us your questions Help us to really be able to walk out what your thought process is so that we can help you get clear on what your needs are 
and help you take that next step. So thank you for being with us today. Bruce, go ahead. I would just like to, um, I've been talking to a lot of other financial advisors, producers that actually listen to the show. And I'd just like to say thank you for everybody that does listen to the show. And thank you to the listeners. We've had a tremendous amount of growth on the YouTube channel because people are subscribing. The more we can, you can subscribe and share, the more this gets out and a lot more people will benefit from the education, whether they do business with us or not. We are trying to make the industry better. And that's why I continue to reach out and talk to the produ different producers and financial advisors that listen to the show and reach out to me. And, and we would like all of this knowledge, not only from myself, because I've, I've gained knowledge from my mentors over the years. We're trying to share this throughout the community so that more families can benefit from, from real good planning when it comes to their cash flow and their life insurance needs. And so I just like to say thank you for everybody who's, who's been listening. Thank you, Bruce, for that. And yes, the best way that you can share this with others is to go ahead and subscribe, especially on YouTube. I don't think you can subscribe on LinkedIn or Facebook, but we would love to have you subscribe. You can subscribe to the podcast as well and hit like on wherever you're watching this video. And please go ahead and comment, share what your thoughts are, share your feedback, even if it's not a question. We just invite your thoughts and your questions because the more that you communicate and share with us, the better we can tailor this to answer your questions. And the more subscribers we have, the more people can find us. So thank you for clarifying that, Bruce, and making that invitation. We hope you all have a wonderful day and a great week ahead. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.